I have always loved baseball for as long as I can remember. If you've uh, been over by the office, you walk in, you might think you've walked into a retired baseball player's office or an office of a baseball manager. No, I'm just a fanatic. And I've loved the game for as long as I can remember. And one of the first toys that I really loved as a kid was one of those giant little tykes baseball bats. I mean, those things are so big, you can hit almost anything that's thrown at you. And I loved to hit the ball with it, but I also loved to hit anything else that I wanted to with the bat. It was, it was fun, which included my sister. And she was a couple years older than me, and I would like to hit her with the bat because she was an annoying older sister, and it's just kind of what she did. And so my parents, they sat me down, and they said, you can't hit people with the bat. And I said, but I want to. And they're like, that's not how life works. You can't just hit people uh, with a bat. That you've got to figure out other ways to solve your problems. So if you hit your sister with your bat again, we're going to throw the bat away. I'm like, okay. Do you understand? If you hit your sister with the bat again, we're going to throw the bat away. Mm-hmm. I understand. Got it. Crystal clear. A couple hours later, we went to the toy store. And there I discovered aluminum bats. And I picked up the... I'm not a psychopath, everybody. (laughs) This isn't going where you just thought it was going. Like, I have dedicated my life to helping people try to grow closer to Jesus, all right? I'm not locked up in an institution. I did not assault anybody with an... Jeez. So I discovered, I discovered a real bat, and I loved it, and I wanted it. And I'm like, Mom and Dad, I've got to get this aluminum bat. I, forget the little tyke stuff. This is what I want. And they said, not yet. You, you don't get the bat yet. And I'm like, why wouldn't you give me the bat? I love baseball. I want to get better. I want to play all the time. Like, I was the kid, I would go up and I would hit off a tee in the backyard for hours. And if, if there was nobody else around, I would just throw up the ball and just hit it. And then run and chase it and throw up the ball and hit it. And now you're starting to understand a little bit more about me, right? Like, what a lonely, sad childhood. But it was great. I would just throw up the ball and hit the ball. And that's, I was happy. I was fine. I just loved baseball that much. And I really wanted that aluminum bat. My parents said, mm-mm. You're not ready for it. And, and I did not understand, and I protested. And I'm sure it was ugly, because if you've ever taken a kid to a toy store, well, thank God for Amazon, right? You don't have to do that anymore, because it's going to be a scene if, if you leave without them getting what they want. And I'm sure it was for me as well. Never, never understood that. So I'm riding back to the house, and I'm mad. I can't believe they wouldn't get me the bat that I wanted. A couple hours later, my sister starts talking, which was always a problem. She never had anything of value to offer at that time. I mean, she's grown up to be a lovely woman, and she's got a great family. And I love my sister, don't get me wrong, but whenever she spoke at that stage in life, just nothing positive came out of her mouth. It was just not, nothing good. And so I'm sure that I was just sitting over in the corner, the meek, mild child that I am, minding my own business, not doing anything to antagonize her, not doing anything to start any trouble, probably was over in the corner praying for her and for everybody else that I knew. And unprovoked, while I was deep in thought and prayer and trying to discover more about my Savior, 
I am sure my sister came over and either assaulted me, hit me unprovoked, called me stupid, or something along those lines. And I didn't say anything. I just picked up the little tyke's bat. And I had batting practice. I swung that bat harder than I've ever swung before, and I hit my sister with that bat, and she started crying, and I started laughing, and I'm like, call me that again. And then the bat was ripped out of my hands with more force than I'd ever experienced before, and it was my dad, and he said, go to your room, and you're never going to see this bat again. And I heard the garage door open and close and I knew that bat was going in the trash can. The next morning came. And I peeled back the mini blinds in my room. And I watched with sadness as the trash truck drove up. And there went my little tyke's bat. It was gone. And I didn't get the aluminum bat because I wasn't ready for it. I wanted it. I thought I was ready. But I couldn't even handle the toy bat that I had at the time. The average American household carries over $137,000 of debt. Americans owe over $1.5 trillion in student loans. The average credit card debt is $8,300. 61% of American adults don't have enough saved to cover a $1,000 emergency. Fighting over money is the leading cause of divorce. There's a better way to live and manage our money. And maybe the reason your finances stress you out and are out of control and you don't feel like you have enough, maybe you're in that situation because God is withholding his blessing from you. Because in your behavior, you've demonstrated that you're not yet ready to manage his assets. This morning, we're going to conclude our look at finances, in which we've called currency. And we saw that all of this starts with the choice that we have to make. And that choice is this, whether we will choose to be people who are generous or whether we will choose to be people who are greedy. And we saw that the danger of greed is that it comes and it resides within us for a long time. And it can go undetected and it can be so subtle. But the message of greed is one that says, I owe me. I owe me. And then we saw how we need to build a foundation, how we need to have smart principles in our life when it comes to dealing with finances. And so we need to have a budget in place that tells our money where to go and what to do. And within that, we need to understand that everything we have is ultimately not ours, but it's God's. And so we need to give back a portion to him. We need to save, and then we need to spend and enjoy and have fun in our lives. And then we saw the importance for us to determine, well before we arrive there, for us to determine what is enough. We have to know what we're aiming at. And what's enough for you may not be enough for me, and what's enough for me may not be enough for you. And that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. And it doesn't mean that you're right and I'm wrong. It just means that we're different. And there is no one answer that's universal in that regard. But we need to understand from the outside what we're aiming after and what we're going for. And then we discovered how money reveals our motives. 
Money reveals our motives. And this morning we're going to look at the final piece of this, which I believe is the most important piece of them all. And God is going to pull back the curtain, and he's going to show us how in his economy, finances work. So God is the economist that we're going to see from this morning. And when you understand that everything's his, you understand how important it is to really get an understanding of this. And so we're going to be looking at a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 6. You can follow along on your phones or your tablets in the Bible apps. Or if you don't have those available, you can follow along on the screens. Where the Apostle Paul, he's just gotten done writing this letter to this church in the town of Corinth. And he's talked to them about being generous. And then he's going to, he's going to summarize his argument. And we're going to look at that summary today where we find this. The point is this, he writes. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this is just a farming principle. You understand this. If you plant a lot of crops in the spring, then when it's time for the harvest, you're going to have more of a harvest. If you plant less crops in the spring, when it's time for the harvest, you're going to have fewer crops to, to gather. This is just a farming principle that it makes sense to us. The more you plant, the bigger the crop. The more you plant, the bigger the crop. And so in the same way that this principle applies in farming, it also applies in generosity. And we can get hung up on this because we're like, wait a minute. I don't understand how all of that works. And in the same way that you don't understand how when you throw the seed into the ground and then you cover it and water it and tend to it and all of that, and, and but ultimately, God is the one who is responsible for making those things grow. And we don't question all of that. We understand that there are dynamics about it that we can understand. But ultimately, at harvest time, we understand that there are numerous factors that are out of our control. So it is with finances. We can understand an awful lot. And God has given us the keys to understand an awful lot about money. But ultimately, God is in control of everything. It's all his. And we're never going to understand all of the ways that he does everything that he does. The question is, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust him? And in the same way that a farmer, if they want a larger harvest, needs to plant more seed, that is the same principle that is true for us in terms of our giving. And that's why we have said from the outset of currency, we want you to be active in this principle. It's not that we want something from you. And I understand that on the surface you could think that. You could think, oh, it's a church and they want something from me. They want my money. The reality is we want something for you. We want something for you. We want you to experience God's blessing in every area of your life. And so we are not going to be silent about something because you're like, I don't know how I feel about that. We're going to challenge you. If God is really in charge of your soul, if, God, if you're counting on God with your soul, then you should count on God with your savings account as well. And so we're going to give you the principles, but it's up to you. And it's not that we want something from you. It's we want 
something for you. We want God to bless each and every one of you because we love you and we value you and we care about you. That's what part of being a community is all about. It's loving and valuing and caring about other people. And it, But love requires sometimes for you to have difficult and uncomfortable conversations that you otherwise might not want to have. So let me just say this from the outset. Lakeside, because of your generosity, is in a great place. We do not come to you right now out of an emergency or out of the feeling like, oh, we really need everybody to give more. Would we love for people to give more so we could do even more in ministry? Absolutely. Would we love for people to give more so we can reach even more people, touch even more lives, encourage even more people? Yes. But the reality is God has been good and your generosity has enabled us to do so much. And so we say thank you just two weeks ago. Just two weeks ago, we had the best week financially that we've had in over five years. And we celebrate that, and we're excited about that. And yes, there were some big contributions that have come in, but there have been big contributions that have come in in the past five years as well. And so we celebrate that, and we appreciate your generosity. But the reason I tell you that is not so you stop giving, and you're like, oh, they're good, and they don't need anything else from me. But the reason that I tell you that is so that you can celebrate that along with us, that your generosity is enabling us to reach people. Your generosity is enabling enabling us to impact people's lives. Your generosity is going to change the scope of eternity for people. Wrap your mind around that. And so as the face of all the elders here at Lakeside, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for what you're doing. And know that we're not coming at you today as a point of, uh uh-oh, We've looked at the budget and things aren't looking good. That's not why we're saying this. We're saying this because we legitimately want something for you. We want God's blessings for you. And we're not panicked and we're not like in a bind. But we're saying this because we want what's best for you. And that's why we've given you the challenge. That if you're doing nothing right now, if you're doing nothing right now, then we want you to start doing something. And it might be a couple dollars, it might be five dollars, it might be ten dollars, it might be twenty dollars, whatever that case may be. If you're doing nothing, you need to start doing something. And that's why we've said we will give you a 90-day, no questions asked, money-back guarantee. No questions asked. If you would start this principle, if you would put God to the test in this area because he told us you could, then we will, no questions asked, refund you every cent of that if you need that money back. But we believe that once you start this and once you see God go to work in real and tangible ways, you will never look back. You will never look back. And then once you start doing something, we want you to go to the next step. And that's for it to be a system, a system in in place in your finances that you've started and now you build it into, into becoming a system, a part of your life. And you take that next step, and then it becomes regular, and you see God continue to provide, and God continue to meet your needs, because everything you have is ultimately God's anyways, and we're just called to manage it. And then the next step, where we want everyone to be, is we want you to be at sacrifice. We want you to be at sacrifice. 
And we want you to experience the joy of what happens when you give and when God continues to provide, when God meets your needs, and when God accomplishes things that you look back and say, I am so thankful that I could get to be a part of that. And I'm just going to tell you this again. If you don't believe in the mission here at Lakeside, if you don't believe in our values, if you don't believe in the vision, and you think, oh yeah, you're just hitting me up for money, I'm just going to challenge you again then give somewhere else where you do believe in the vision. Give somewhere else where you do believe in the values. Give somewhere else where you are excited about it. It is not that we want something from you. It's we want something for you. And we believe that when you put this into your life, God will bless you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Why? Because he said so. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so what do we see? A couple principles here. One, again, do what's right for you. Do what's right for you. Now, a lot of people, they go back to the Old Testament, and they see that there was a tithe system in place. And that's one-tenth. So if you make $10, you give one. If you make $100, you give 10 Etc., etc., etc. But here's, here's what we're called to do do what's right in your heart. You decide what's right in your heart and you go from there. And you're like, oh, I'm off the hook. This is awesome. God, I'm doing 50 cents on every thousand. This is great. That's what I've decided in my heart is right. And before you get there, I just want to challenge you with this Jesus never lowered the standard, He always raised it. Think about it. When Jesus was speaking, what do you say? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And so if that's your standard and you're like, I haven't slept with anybody other than my spouse, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Jesus says, but I tell you this, the second you look at someone lustfully, the second you give somebody that second look and it's a little, little longer and it's gazing, you've committed adultery in your heart. See what Jesus did? He raised the standard. He said, you've heard it said, don't kill your brother. You're like, huh, all right. I'll hit him with a baseball bat, but I won't kill him. All right, I'm, I'm pretty good here. Right? There's the standard. What's Jesus say? The minute you harbor anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. He raises the standard. So I just want to ask a question. Is What have you decided in your heart? And what you decide needs to be right for you. It needs to be right for you. Not reluctantly. You don't give reluctantly. It should never be a case where you're like, oh, I have to do this. I have to give. Not under compulsion. It's not like on a Saturday morning when the doorbell rings and they're the cutest little six-year-olds that you've ever seen and they're holding their flyer and they're like, sir, wouldn't you love to send me to summer camp and allow me to earn another badge? All you need to do is buy one of these box of cookies. You can get 10 cookies for $20. It's a great deal. They're exceptional. It's only $2 a cookie. But these cookies will not only change your life when you taste them, they will change my life. Now, I can close the door. Brooke can't. Brooke's like, I don't care how many boxes of cookies we have. We're sending that little girl to camp, and we're helping her get a badge because you're only a kid once. And I'm like, we don't need cookies. We can go get cookies somewhere else. 
Or when the band hits you up and they need new uniforms for the third time in two years and they're knocking on the door, they need something, or whatever, that you know, and you're just like, all right, that's fine. God doesn't want you to give like that. He wants there to be joy and excitement when you give. And check this out. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Take away, God is able to meet your needs. God has everything at his disposal. You give to God and you will never want. You may not have everything that you wish for, but your needs are covered. God's got this. He guarantees it. This is God's economy. The generous, wise giving always leads to replenishment. Generous, wise giving always leads to replenishment. Paul goes back to Psalm 112, 9 there, and he quotes the peace of knowing that God provides. Ultimately knowing that God is the one who provides for our needs. God is the one who provides for everything that we need. And when we rely on ourselves, we're missing it. It's not up to us. It's ultimately up to God. And then check this out. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Enriched with resources you need, but also blessing, which leads to thanksgiving. Now, am I saying if you give to God that he'll give you whatever you want? Am I making some promise that if you give us a certain amount, God's going to give you a, a sports car, a mansion, you fill in the blank, whatever you want? No. I'm not making an empty promise that isn't actually what Scripture says. But what I promise you is this. If you are generous and if you will be faithful, God will meet your needs and he will continue to provide for you so that you can continue to be generous. And that might look like more for you than it will for me or that might look like more for me than it will for you. And this is where we get in trouble because we don't have our gaze fixed on what we're aiming at and then we start comparison. It's like, oh, well, they have more than me, and, and they have more than me. And rather than being content with what we've decided on going after, we start to compare. And it's dangerous. So decide what's enough. Fix your gaze there. Be incredibly generous. And when you've met the standard that you desire, give like crazy and watch God bless you in incredible ways. And then he says this, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Give not just to provide for the needs of others, but also as a way of thanking God for his provision. 
by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, Paul here ties in our giving with the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. There's a direct correlation he makes here to giving being our response to what Jesus has done on our behalf. The inexpressible gift, the value of Jesus who came to save us when we were far from God, who loved us in spite of our rebellion, and who came to set us free. And the question that Paul has for us and the question that each of us need to ask as a result of what he's written here is very simply this. What does my giving say about my response to Jesus? Imagine with me for a minute that something goes wrong with my health. And I face some very serious life-altering choices that I need to make. And after a lot of thought and consultation with doctors and family and friends and prayers and research and that whole stage that the emotions you go through and everything else, it is discovered that my life can be saved. If someone would sacrifice for me part of their body. And we match, we're a match. I'm aligned with a donor. I go in. I have the surgery. And it's successful. I come out of that surgery, and I am alive as a result of what someone else has given me. There is no way. I can repay that person. There is nothing I will ever be able to do for that person to thank them for giving me life. And yet at the very least, we're matched up and I express my thanksgiving and we start talking and I'm like, I just, I want to express to you my thanksgiving. Like, I can never repay you, but can I at least just have you over for dinner and can I at least say thanks? I say, yeah, you can have me over for dinner. I'm like, what do you like to eat? Not of everything, they say pizza. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we have been joined together since long before now. And they arrived in my house. And I want to hug them for what feels like forever. And I am not a hugger. And if you're a hugger, I'll hug you. But I am not a hugger. And, and they, I, but I want to hug this person for what feels like forever. I'm like, come in. Have a seat. And they sit down at the table and I walk off. 
I come back with pizza from Pizza Hut. It's only the best, right, for, for someone. It's a joke, everybody. I'm not endorsed by Pizza Hut, all right? And I open up the box, and I'm like, would you like a leftover piece of pepperoni or buffalo chicken? Which do you want? It's all I have left. I'll give you some. And I wonder, is this what we're doing with Jesus? Who's given us everything? We're saying, you just don't understand how high my bills are. You just don't understand how tight things are right now. And I'll give you a little what I have left over. Have we lost sight of what he's done for us? Because he set us free. And in our appreciation, we should give to him generously. And the truth is, it's not going to cost us anything. He's going to continue to meet our needs. God, I pray that we would be people who are incredibly generous. God, I, I just pray that we would be people who, who understand that everything we have is not ours, but it's ultimately yours. And so, God, that we would manage money in a way that reveals wisdom, that we would understand that you're ultimately in control. And I pray that we would be people who, in faith, would step out and so for the person who's right now not doing anything, God, that they would just start. And that you would bless them. And the, for the person who started, that they would take the next step and allow it to become a system in their life. And that you would bless them. And God, for that person, they would take the next step and that it would be a sacrifice. And God, just as you've promised us here, that you would bless them and meet their needs. Let us be irrationally generous and let us, God, accomplish much for your glory as a result. Let us change people's lives. Let us see people who come to Lakeside make decisions to follow you. Let us see people who come to Lakeside who are stuck and, and just feel like there's nowhere for them to go. Let us see them take the next step and grow in their relationship with you. God, let us see people who come to this place who are tired and exhausted and out of hope and let them discover hope once anew. God, take everything that's entrusted to us and use it and magnify it and multiply it for your glory. And God, let our impact in the days to come be greater than anything that we've ever seen before for you, Jesus. And let us change this place for you, we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.